Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Do you walk in the freedom of knowing your sins are forgiven, all the while confessing and repenting of them? Let's open to 1 John chapter 1 and see what a lifestyle of confession and repentance really looks like. Good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It's a Wednesday afternoon here in Texas. Hopefully everyone's doing well and uh, just walking with Jesus more intentionally and intimately during this, uh, during this worldwide pandemic we're having. Today we're going we're gonna to go through 1 John chapter 1. I'm hoping to make this a little shorter, maybe... Uh, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes. It's 10 verses. I've had uh, requests where, where people are, are asking for teachings that are, that are more knowledge-based, uh, maybe even more theologically-based, as opposed to just only hardcore application-based. And obviously, there's, there's good in all that. The goal of our lives is to know Jesus better, that we might love him more, understand his love for us, and walk with him more intimately and devoutly and truly obeying him more. And as we do all that, we'll experience him and his presence and his love and the kingdom of God in a, in a more powerful way. But most of the teachings at Kingdom Discipleship, and that I do, I guess I do them all, um, really are about Christian living. And so... When we go through this text, we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of theological concepts in here. Hopefully that'll, that'll be a blessing to those that are looking for, uh, for some teachings that, again, have, uh, just have more knowledge and, and theological insights. So, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this time and we thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We do invite you into this time, Lord. We do pray that your kingdom would come now and your will would be done. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us as we open your word. We thank you for the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So the first question we ask ourselves when we come to any scripture is, is why is this in the Bible? And the answer is always that it's in here to teach us. Romans 15, 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, not just to, to tell us a story. So we don't just want to read the words. You know, we want to, to really do Bible study, right? We want to get what the true meaning is. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 11 say that things are written down as examples. Now, generally, that comes when we're reading stories in the Bible, where, where this now is just going to be John giving us some theological insight into Jesus and what it means to be a Christian and to know that you're a Christian. So we'll go ahead and read it, and then uh, we'll get right into it. Verse 1, 1 John 1, verses 1 through 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The Apostle John is writing this. He's an older man now, maybe in his 80s. And he says that he's proclaiming that which was from the beginning. He's speaking about Jesus. And, and Jesus is eternal. So he was not created. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity are eternal. They always were. They never were or was. Before anything, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And John says that he's going to proclaim which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. So John wants us to read this and understand that he's not, he's not giving you this second hand. He's telling us, that the eternal Son of God, God the Son, Jesus, that he actually heard him with his own ears. So he's wanting to let you know that what he's writing you, he's writing to you from first-hand experience, Susanna. And th that's not something we've been privileged to, right? I haven't heard Jesus in my natural ears. I certainly didn't see him. I'd like to, but I haven't seen him walking around my house walking around his little studio here. I haven't been able to touch him, but John did. So let that, let that get in your soul that the Apostle John is writing and he's telling you what I'm about to proclaim to you is not something somebody made up. It's not some story I read in a book somewhere. He's saying, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Wow, Lord Jesus. So what he's telling you, he's wanting to emphasize materially. Verse 2, the life appeared. He'll repeat himself. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So you can see his tremendous emphasis on letting you know that I am 
testifying to you what I have seen and heard. And he's saying not only me, he keeps saying we have seen, we have seen, we have heard, we have touched. And he walked, as you know, Jesus had 12 apostles, right? And there were many other people that saw him. John is saying what I'm telling you has come firsthand. And he gives the purpose for his writing. He says in verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the purpose of this writing is John wants you to understand that Jesus really has come. And John is saying, I know he's come because I saw him with my own eyes. John walked with Jesus three and a half years. I heard him speak with my own ears for three and a half years. I looked at him and I touched him and held him for three and a half years. Remember, we're at the Last Supper. John leans back, you know, over to Jesus. And John referred to himself. The author of this book is the same author. For those who want the knowledge, the author of this book, 1 John, it's at the back of your New Testament, is the same author that wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. And he calls himself that because he so, he so immensely experienced the love of Jesus that he basically renamed himself the one that Jesus loved. And, and really, you can do that as well. So wherever you are today, I want you to stop using your own name. If your name is Susanna, I want you to rename yourself the one that Jesus loved. Because that's the truth. You are the one that Jesus loved. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He says, I'm writing this so that you may have fellowship. He's saying Jesus is real. He really did come. He really did give his life on the cross. And that by trusting in Jesus, by receiving him as your Lord and Savior, we all come into fellowship as one body. We become one body of Christ. He says, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, you have fellowship where God the Father becomes your heavenly Father. And Jesus becomes your Lord and your Master and your King and your God and your Savior and your friend. You become his bride. We're called the bride of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. Is there anything more joyful than really seeing others come to know Jesus and walk with Jesus and, uh, and just grow to know him and love him? And I confess there is, uh, there's really nothing that brings more frustration and heartache than seeing people turn away from Jesus or, uh, or not want to be his disciples or, uh, you know, and, and it starts in my own life, right? Is it, it brings just grief and conviction when I don't make Jesus the priority I ought to. But there's just nothing more exciting. Verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. If you want to have complete joy, which is a side note, I do not. Hopefully, maybe somebody listening has complete joy. But if you want to have complete joy, help others have fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit, and with all of us in the body of Christ. Because that's what's going to complete your joy as you grow to know Jesus and help others to know Jesus.
I want to get back to verse one where he says at the end of the verse, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Here he calls Jesus the word of life. You remember the, the gospel of John? He starts the book saying, in the beginning was the word. So Jesus is referred to as the word of God. So your Bible is the word of God. When you're reading the Bible, you're having communion with Jesus. Jesus is the word of life, he's called. Golly. We've gotten to a place in, our, in Christianity today where we often take the word of God for granted. There's nothing more powerful in the universe than the word of God. The word of God created the universe. Remember, in Genesis it says, God said, let there be light. He spoke and the universe came into being. So Jesus here is called the word of life and Jesus was the one who created the universe. Thank you, Lord. All right, we're rolling here. Verse five. This is the message we have heard. Do you see how John is repeating himself over and over and over? We have heard. We have heard. We have heard. We want to live our lives. You and I want to live our lives that we have heard the message about Jesus. We have the word of God about Jesus and we want to, to know him, to live the word of God, to know the word of God and to share the word of God. I've said it before. You want to spend your life doing four things, living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus and forgiving for Jesus. All these things we do for Jesus. We don't do them for ourselves. We don't do them for other people. We do everything for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So John is saying, all I'm telling you is what Jesus told us. Okay. And this is what he says. Number one, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So the first thing you want to know about God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit is that there's nothing wrong in them. They're perfect light. They're pure. They're holy. They're eternal. They're light. You remember God said, let there be light in Genesis. God is light and he spoke light. In him, there is no darkness. You might have heard it said that if you're in a dark room and you just put on a little bit of light, darkness has got to flee, right? God is light. He's light. He's perfect. He has no stains. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's everywhere. He's light. In him, in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is no darkness at all. There is no sin. There is no wrongdoing. There has never been a wrong deed, a wrong thought, or a wrong word that's come from God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. They are perfect light. The reason we need Jesus to save us from our sins is because God cannot abide in any form of darkness and sin is darkness. So when we receive Jesus as our savior, all of our sin, past, present, and future is credited to Jesus and his perfect righteous life is credited to us. And God now sees us in perfect light. 
We cannot have fellowship with God in darkness. Now, that's not to say that we don't have sinful problems in our lives as Christians, because he's going to speak about that in these next few verses, because we certainly do. And he's going to tell us what we need to do when we do that. But the first thing to understand is John wants us to know that God is light and in him there is no darkness. Unfortunately, that can't be said of any of us, right? We do have light if we've received Jesus. If you receive Jesus, you have the light in you, but regrettably, we still have a sinful nature, so we have some darkness in us, right? And the battle in this life is between light and darkness. The more intimately you walk with Jesus, the more the darkness will be dispelled. We'll never be perfect in this life, but the goal of this life is to become more and more and more and more like Jesus until the last day of your life, Jesus just takes you home and... You just move right from one dimension to the other, and there doesn't have to be a whole lot of change because you become so much like Jesus. Regrettably, that's not going to be the case for most of us. The Lord, once we leave this life, is going to have to do a massive overhaul. But help us, Lord Jesus, that, uh, that we would walk in the light more and more and more and more. Verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, that's Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So now we're going to get into this part that I spoke about where I'm going to try to unpack these verses. These are very complex verses. What does John mean by this? What does he mean when he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth? Because all of us as Christians, we still make mistakes. Like I said, we still have, you know, some aspects of our life that are still darkness. There are still, there's still a cleansing and a sanctification process happening in us. And that'll continue to happen until the day we're taken from this life. But he says, if we, if we claim to have fellowship with him, Jesus, yet walk. And that word walk refers to a lifestyle. As Christians, someone who's truly a Christian walks in the light, meaning they know the truth, they know Jesus, they know his heart for them, they know the will of God for their lives because they study the word of God. They know right from wrong. If Jesus is living in you, you know light from darkness. You know what the Lord would have you to do and what he would not have you to do, right? You know it in your conscience. You know it by studying the word of God. You know it through your intimacy with Jesus. You just know what his heart for you is. You know what's selfish and what's not. You know when you're being loving. You know when you're being giving and thoughtful. And you know when you're, when you're not. You know when you're acting in a way or you can look back and say, man, I didn't handle that well. I was, you know, I was really, I was childish there. I was immature. I didn't act correctly. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. That's verse 6. What John is saying here, I believe, is that if you claim to be a Christian, and you're saying, I'm a Christian, yet your entire lifestyle 
is one that would be identified as almost entire darkness, meaning your entire lifestyle is almost altogether worldly and really has no Jesus in it. You walk in the darkness. There's, there's really no light in your life at all. You have no understanding of the things of God. You, you don't understand Jesus. You don't care to know him. You're comfortable in the darkness so much so that that's where you like walking around, right? Um, you don't like walking around in fellowship with God, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. You prefer darkness. You prefer to be a part of the world. You prefer to be a part of those who want nothing to do with Jesus. John says, if you claim to be a Christian and your entire lifestyle is one of darkness, he said, you lie and do not live by the truth. But if you walk in the light, verse seven, so let me make this clear. He's not talking about a Christian who walks in the light, but you know what does have areas of their lives that are out of place, does have, you know, certain sinful things going on in their lives that they know to be wrong and they know they need to, to repent, right? He's not talking about that. When he says, someone who's walking in darkness, their, their entire life is lived in darkness. If you're truly a Christian and you live with Jesus and there are things that are out of place in your life, as there certainly are in mine, and you know what, you're convicted of them, you know they're wrong and you know you need to get them right, and you even might know that you know you haven't been working on it as you ought, well, this isn't you. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, because remember God is light, there is no darkness, so he only dwells in light. So if you have a lifestyle of living in the light, your lifestyle is for the most part thinking about, you know what, and doing what's right. Thinking, you know what, I do want to live for Jesus and walk with him and get to know him. You know, I do want to repent of the areas of my life that are out of place. I do want to be pleasing to Jesus. I do want to experience his love and know him. If, if that's your lifestyle, even though you make mistakes, even though you may have some, some sinful habits that happen over and over again, then it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and this is your lifestyle, we have fellowship with one another. You can know that you're a true believer in Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So John here is, is teaching us how we can know that we have fellowship with Jesus. And we, can have, we know we have fellowship with Jesus. We can be certain we've received him as our savior. If we do have a, a lifestyle of having a desire for him, a desire to know him, a desire to walk with him, even though we're certainly not perfect by any means, we make mistakes every day, but there is a, a conviction in our heart over, over the sinful areas of our life, and we do have a heart to repent, then we can know that you know, we are true Christians. We are saved. We have received Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you have a lifestyle, again, of walking in the light, if you're listening to this, you probably have a lifestyle of walking in the light because that's where Jesus is. Wherever you're walking, you want to be with Jesus. And Jesus is only going to be in the light. Thank you, Lord. And it says, if this is our lifestyle, then even when we do make mistakes, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And that's what we need. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, this is a hard verse. I was talking to a sister of mine this morning, my my big sister, Gwenda, and, uh, you know, we were talking about there are just some people that are, you know, they haven't given their lives to Jesus yet, but they live their lives better than most Christians we know, right? A lot of us, maybe not a lot of us, but some of us know worldly people or people that are not Christians, yet they seem to live a more Christ-like life than most Christians do. And there are certainly people out there like that. And sometimes for these people, it's, it's hard to see their sin because they really, they haven't done anything so terribly bad, right? And it says here, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves because God has given his word. The Bible has made it plain that all human beings that have ever been born, save Jesus, are sinful. We are all born with a sinful nature. We're born with a nature to want our own way. Sin at its core is selfishness, right? It's disobeying God. It's missing the mark of what the Lord has for us, but it's selfishness. You know, we we're born with a sinful nature where, where I want my way. And when I don't get it, I'm mad. So verse eight says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you don't think you have any sin in your life, Jesus is not in you. If you think you're at this moment living and perfect, you've never done anything wrong, you're, you're really a heavenly being now, well then verse 8 says that you deceive yourself. Because God has given his word that you're not perfect. <laughs> right? Um, Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, uh, now again... Different people, obviously, depending on your life and your lifestyle, and there's a lot that goes into it. But as I said, there are people who are not Christians that amazingly live a less sinful life than many Christians. But the truth, a Christian actually knows the sin in their lives. They know that there are things that they need to be doing better, things they need to repent over, and they do have a heart to do that. But if we claim to be without sin, it is a deception. So, the first key to becoming a Christian is to know your need. The primary reason you need Jesus is you need to be saved from your sin. I need Jesus because I'm a sinful man. I have a debt to God, a sin debt, and that has to be paid. And the Bible says there's two ways to have that sin debt paid. That debt can be paid by putting my full trust in Jesus Christ. I can call on Jesus and say, Jesus, would you be the Lord of my life, please, and save me from my sin? And I just trust in you as my only Lord and Savior. And my entire debt, your debt, will be credited to Christ at the cross. Every sin you ever have committed or will commit will be credited to Christ at the cross, and your sin debt will be paid. The Bible makes it clear there's only one other way to have your sin debt paid, and that's to spend eternity in hell separated from God, paying it yourself. That's not a very good option. So the, the first key, the, the base understanding of becoming a Christian is to know your need of Jesus Christ. And that is that I'm a sinful person and I need Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and the salvation of my soul. 
And when you receive Jesus, not only are your sins forgiven, then you come into this incredible fellowship and relationship, as John has talked about here, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and one another, uh, all of us in the body of Christ. So a true sign of deception is when we think we're perfect, right? Now, like I said, um, none of these people, myself and Gwenda, were talking about think they're perfect by any means. But they, they, they are just thoughtful and loving and compassionate and just amazing sometimes people. But the truth is, no matter how good we are, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, every human that, being that ever lived is a sinful person and they need Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, in verse 9, he's going to transition here to, to lifestyle, which is interesting. Verse 9 says, Verse 8, you see, it says, if we claim to be without sin, singular, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's talking about your salvation. But verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, plural, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, this verse is not a salvation verse. Okay. This verse is a lifestyle verse. If we confess our sins, plural, do you have a lifestyle of practicing introspection, Melanie, and uh, seeing the areas of your life that are out of place? Do you have a lifestyle, Tom, Matthew, Scott, Keith? Do you have a lifestyle, Susanna, of practicing introspection and, you know, really really looking back and thinking about the areas of your life where the Holy Spirit has shown you that are not as they ought to be in really confessing your sins. And that's, this is not a religious deal. This is just going before Jesus and saying, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I ask you to forgive me. Uh, I know this is out of line and I, and I'm, I just want to be better. I want to live more intimately with you. Now, it says if you do this, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Forgiveness here is not talking about forgiveness in reference to your salvation. Confession doesn't help you to get saved. You are, you're only saved. Forgiveness from a salvation point of view comes only through Jesus Christ. What he means here when he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. If you have a lifestyle of confession and repentance... The punishment or the discipline that comes from God our Father will be less severe. All of you, when you discipline your children, when your parents disciplined you, if the child is repentant, if the child, I don't know too many kids that do this, but let's say your, your child came to you and said, you know, mom or dad, I, I have to confess that I did this wrong. I lied when I said this and I actually did this. Is there any doubt that your discipline to them would be less, less severe? Is there any doubt if they come to you with a, with a confessing and repentant heart that you're going to go a little easier on them? For those nannies out there, right? When the kids, when the kids confess, when the, when the child, when you can see an earnest repentance in their heart, if you can, obviously you're going to be so pleased that the discipline's not going to be as severe. There'll still be some, but it's not the same. 
Our Heavenly Father, if you'll have a lifestyle of confessing your sins, he's going to be faithful and just, and he'll forgive you from the full discipline that would otherwise have to come. But if you would just harden our hearts, if we just say, you know what? I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm saved, but I'm going to do what I want to do. You ought to fall into the fear of God right now because daddy don't play. Okay. Our heavenly father don't play. Uh, he's a loving father, you know, so he will put foot to behind if, 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 if we don't confess. But now again, I'm not saying that we, we want to have this religious thing where you have to remember I was talking to my friend Mandy and, uh, and I love that lady. And uh, she was saying when, man, she became a Christian, she just, every night she tried to think of every sin she ever did and tried to confess it. That's not what this is saying, okay? The Holy Spirit of God, as we walk with Jesus, will, will show us what's out of place in our lives. And we do want to have times uh, where we practice introspection and just really want to look into ourselves and, and see areas of our life that are out of place. But it's not a religious exercise that every moment of every day you have to be looking for the sin of your life. We don't want to be sin-focused by any means. We want to be Christ-focused. But at the same time, confession is a freedom. We get to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I messed up. I'm sorry, and I do want to do better, even though you've done it a hundred times or a thousand times. And so it's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. We just have this incredible thing where we can confess our sins and repent. And I've said before, Gabe, that uh, repentance is just the, the greatest tool in our toolbox. It says if you'll do this, you'll not only be forgiven from the full punishment, but he'll purify you from all unrighteousness, right? Sin is unrighteousness, right? Righteousness is having a lifestyle of doing what's right. Unrighteousness is having a lifestyle of not doing what's right. And then verse 10, he just wants to end on this. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, so once again, you can see that we have verse 8, and now we have verse 10. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Then we have verse 9 that tells us this should be our lifestyle as Christians. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. So again, what John is saying is, I just told you in verse 9 that you have this incredible freedom this incredible opportunity to repent and confess your sins as a Christian. But if you're walking around saying, you know what? I got this on lockdown. I'm, I don't have any problems. I mean, I, I live a sinless life. It says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Think about that. If you say, I don't, I don't have any sin. I don't got to worry about nothing. My father's not going to discipline me. All my sins are forgiven. That's true at the cross. But your heavenly father still expects you to, to live for him and to live the way he has, he has commanded you to live and given in his word. We're calling God a liar if we say we're perfect. The reason we're calling him a liar is because he's given his word. He's told us we're not perfect. So, you know, there are times I think that I'm kind of doing pretty good, that I got this. And sometimes my heavenly father will remind me in what I perceive as unpleasant ways that I'm certainly not perfect. And just talk to anyone that knows me and believe me, they'll share with you that John's not perfect. 
if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Okay? Because God has given his word. We're not perfect. We do have sin in our lives. But then it says this. If you say you have not sinned, it says in his word has no place in our lives. That's, that's got to be one of the scariest phrases in the Bible because you don't ever want to be told that the word of God has no place in you. The word of God is everything to us. Jesus is called the word of God. In verse 1, he's called the word of life. You never, ever want to be in a place where his word has no place in your life. Father, I do ask you to help us. Lord Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us that we're able to see the truth and know the truth. And as Jesus said in John 8, that we'll know the truth and the truth that will make us free. Father, we love you. We bless you and we thank you. We thank you for the word of God, Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the freedom we have in you to walk with you and to live with you and to love with you, to give with you, to forgive with you. And we thank you, Lord, that um, we ask you to help us to walk in the light, Lord Jesus, as you are in the light. Um, we ask you, Lord, to continue to purge us of any and all darkness. And Lord, help us to have a lifestyle of just being free not out of guilt or condemnation or shame, Lord, but just out of conviction and freedom that we can that we can confess our sins and repent and just get back, Lord, on the narrow road of knowing Christ and walking with him and loving him. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We thank you for the word of God. Help us to live in it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.